Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Good morning, everyone. Can we take a moment, Ram, to read our purpose statement? Speak up for everyone. <clears throat> Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddhist Dharma initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Khan, the Sutta Our practice is informed of over 300 curated suttas restored by, restored by John to their original intent and practical purpose. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. It is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life with the sole purpose of abandoning, abandoning self-inflicted stress and suffering through ending ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Class Guidelines. <clears throat> Patamoksha means towards liberation. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused Sangha and establish the most effective environment for the Dhamma practice, always focused on liberation from ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos in the world and the ideological contradictions and foundational confusion prevalent in modern Buddhism by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes a skillful balance of jhana meditation, sutta study, sangha participation, and daily individual dharma practice. When gathered for dharma class, we refer only to the Buddhist Dharma as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as a Sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our Sangha. When gathered as a Sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a Sangha, we practice wise restraint. Questions of confusion about verbiage or arising from the comparison with other modern Buddhist practices, modern Buddhist teachers, or what they are teaching are not part of our Dharma classes or Sangha discussions and should be addressed directly to our teachers outside of Dharma class. Individual class suttas are linked in our newsletter or home study prior to class. Thank you, Ron. 
I always find that this is appropriate before almost every sutta because this analysis of the Four Noble Truths is the Buddha's Dhamma. And he starts with a, a warning multiple times referring to his first sermon and he outlines what it is and already you can see that there was a tendency for people to want to be changing it tweaking it adding subtracting so on one occasion the buddha was staying at deer park in Esipatana. he addressed those gathered friends it was here i set in motion the unexcelled wheel of the of Dhamma. My Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahman, Deva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. So I always like to think of anyone in the entire world as us, that we are students, we are disciples. We are students, we are here gathered, and he's saying already, don't try to change this, don't try to tweak it. Learn it, understand it. I often refer to uh, the scope of what this is. The, the scope of what we're learning is seen in the Samsapa Sutta. You know, it's this handful of things that we need to understand. And nowhere in there it's saying that it's going to fix a broken self. It's gonna give me the answers that I've always wanted about the universe. It's teaching us that stress arises in the cessation. So that's it. It's it's a limited dhamma. It's encompassing a lot of things, and you know, Cody was bringing up. Uh, the sequencing of certain things in the dependent origination, and those are all fair questions. Yeah. Zach is often bringing up great questions, but don't confuse those questions with what's laid out in this simple analysis. And again, this is a, uh, a point further down the road. Uh, Saraputta and Moggallana have joined the Sangha, but the original sermon was just the five friends that the Buddha traveled with. And in that sermon that's presented in the first sutta, it really is kind of like a reader's digest touching upon the Four Noble Truths. Uh, but of course, in the course of five or, five or so days, he taught Three of those friends, while two others would go out and get alms. And then another day, they would switch up. And in the course of that, he presented this. So, again, it's it, it's a limited teaching, but it encompasses the entire Dhamma. So, again, no one can corrupt the revelation declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of the four noble truths. The noble truth of stress and suffering, the noble truth of the origination of stress, 
the noble truth of the sensation of stress, the noble truth of the eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. The Buddha continues, friends, associate with white disciples such as Sariputta and Moggallana. Sariputta and Moggallana are well-trained, focused, wise, sympathetic to those developing a life integrated with the Eightfold Path. Sariputta is like the, like a mother given birth, and Moggallana is like a nurse that attends to the baby. Sariputta trains others on developing the Dhamma, Moggallana to the highest culmination. So we've seen Sariputta quite a few times in this study. And oftentimes you would think that Sariputta was regulated to, you know, this lower level of teaching. But I think it's just a good example of how two teachers teach differently. That Moggallana, his technique was to take it to the fullest from beginning to the end, where Sariputta's role, and again, the logistics of a growing Sangha, all these people were coming in. They heard about the Buddha and what was being taught. And as groups of people would come in, he would present this teaching. And of course, brand new people, this is what they could handle. So just logistically, they would have to kind of take these groups of five and 10 and 20. And as we, you know, learned in the, you know, Anapanasati Sutta groups of five and 10 and 40. So he would tend to teach at the beginning and then let them develop themselves. Of course he was always available, but he would have to some somehow just get the pipeline going. Sariputta is able to declare, teach, describe, set forth, reveal, explain, and make plain the four noble truths in detail. Having said these words, the Buddha left for the days abiding. So he's restated what happened on that first teaching. Now what's Sariputta do? Sariputta then addressed those gathered. Friends, it was here that the Tathagatha set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma. This Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brava, Diva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of the Four Noble Truths. The Noble Truth of Stress and Suffering, the Noble Truth of the Origination of Stress, the Noble Truth of the Sensation of Stress, and the Noble Truth of the Eightfold Path of Practice Leading to the Cessation of Stress. So he restates it again. I think in some rendering, they do it twice, just to double down, remind everybody, this is the Dhamma. <clears throat> Don't try to change it. Don't try to, and especially in our setting, look what John's done. He's made this, he's made this palatable. He's made this understandable. So it, instead of being confused by reading modern teachers or the original texts where it's very confusing, very mystical. And here's John laid this out for us in a, in a way where it's understandable that that was the first thing that, you know, appealed to me, you know, after reading 10 sentences and putting a book down and trying another book and putting it down, 
very confusing. But there's still that tendency that, oh, okay, I like how this is being taught. I like the words. But I like this little thing on the left that I put down because it was confusing. But I like those people, and I like that meditation practice. This is the practice. This is the Dhamma. Stick to this. You know, if you're interested in this, develop it the way John and the other teachers have laid this out, which I think is a fair enough thing for people that are very curious about, you know, what's out there and, you know, trying to answer questions that are important to you. But to do anything but what the Buddha's laid out will cause stress and distraction. So the first noble truth. Friends, what is the noble truth of stress and suffering? Birth is stressful. Sickness is stressful. Aging is stressful. Death is stressful. Sour, regret, pain, distress, despair are all stressful. Not getting what is desired is stressful. Receiving what is undesired is stressful. In short, the five clinging aggregates are stressful. These are John's words. The five clinging aggregates are the original ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering in an impermanent world. And Sariputta gets into detail. Again, this is probably something that the Buddha did with the five friends, but uh, now with a, probably a audience of brand new people, Sariputta gives a description of each one. And what is birth? Whatever takes birth, the descent, the coming to be, the coming forth, the arising of the five clinging aggregates, the fabrication of sensuous realms of diverse beings, this is called birth. And what is aging? Aging is increasing decrepitude, brokenness, graying, wrinkling, decline of life force, diminishing mental faculties of diverse beings. This is called aging. And what is it? Death? Death is the passing away, the breaking up, the disappearance, the completion of time, the casting off of the body, the interruption of life faculty, and the dissolution of the five clinging aggregates of diverse beings. This is called death. So that's something we all share. That's like no negotiating. We all share that. But take note of what the next ones are. More to do with the things that we have participation in, you know, think of the Salata Sutta when you hear these, these are all things that we contribute to. And what is sorrow? Sorrow is sadness. This suffering of misfortune being touched by pain, this is called sorrow. And what is regret? Regret is the grieving, the crying, the weeping, the wailing, the regret of suffering from misfortune, of being touched by pain, this is called regret. And what is pain? Pain is bodily pain, bodily discomfort. Pain or discomfort from bodily contact, this is called pain. And what is distress? Distress is mental pain and mental discomfort. Pain and discomfort from mental contact. This is called distress. Those are mental formations.
And what is despair? Despair is despondency and desperation of anyone suffering from misfortune touched by a painful thing. This is called despair. And what is the stress of not getting what is desired? And those being subject to birth, the wish arises. May I not be subject to birth, man. May birth not come to me. Wishing does not bring sensation. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. Furthermore, an uninformed human being subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair, the wish arises. Oh, may I not be subject to birth, sickness, aging, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, despair. May these not befall me. These things are not avoided by wishing. This is the stress of not getting what is desired. It's a lot. But that's basically the encompassing of dukkha. Here's some of John's words. The result of continued grasping after continued establishment of fabricated view of self-clinging to any impermanent phenomenon, including the fabricated phenomenon of external realms and the fabricated belief of selfific intervention <clears throat> of beings from external imaginary realms is what is referred to here. Wishing to avoid any experience that is determined by simply having a human life is rooted in self-referential wrong views, self and always resulting in continued distraction and continued stress and suffering. And what are the five clinging aggregates that continue stress? The clinging to form aggregate, the clinging to feeling aggregate, the clinging to perception aggregate, the clinging to fabricated aggregate, the clinging to consciousness aggregate. This is how we interact with the world. This is how we make sense of it all. This Dhamma is addressing the ignorance that drives how you hit that, you know, Nama Rupa and decide that it's personal. This Dhamma is addressing that. We want to understand the world. So these aggregates we tend to cling to. These friends is the noble truth of stress. The second noble truth. And what is the noble truth of the origination of stress? I always find it interesting. It's not the cause of stress. It's the origination of stress. And again, if you think about dependent origination, the driving force is always connected to a something before it. The original ignorance will flow to dukkha. The very craving that makes for becoming further ignorant, craving, clinging to passion and delight, Entranced here and there with craving for sensuality, craving for continual becoming, craving for non-becoming. This is called the noble truth of the origination of stress. There's only three kinds of craving. The craving of becoming, 
craving of non-existence, and of course, the sensual, the senses. Pay attention. This is a fast one. It's basic. Doesn't get any more simple than this. But the third noble truth. And what, friends, is the noble truth of the cessation of stress? It doesn't talk about anything that is going to make you a better person or meta or calm. This is what happens. The renunciation, the relinquishment, the release, the letting go, the remainderless fading away and complete sensation of craving. This is called the noble truth of cessation of stress. This is what Kandana awoke to in that first sermon. And it wasn't this like magical, like couple lines and he awoke. He heard this entire sermon, you know, back then. What is subject to origination is subject to cessation. That's it. Fifteen or so words. The fourth noble truth. And again, this is the one that we all lean toward because it's things that we understand. You know, we understand the Ten Commandments being good, you know, being good to our parents. You know, some version of right speech, right action, not hurting people. But within this Dhamma, it gives it a true purpose. And I often talk about, and I'll get to this because Tuesday, it, John will get into a much more detailed uh, analysis of this. But again, keep in mind really what we're doing and ask yourself. People say, how's your practice? And you know, are you sitting twice a day or are you reading? And the real question should be, how's your concentration developing? How is that developing? And looking in the mirror and saying, I'm doing these things consistently and I'm seeing my concentration deepen so I can be mindful of these four noble truths. That's strictly what this Dhamma is about. Sarah continues, and what is the noble truth of the path of the Dhamma practice that leads to this direct sensation of stress? This path is the noble eightfold path. Right view. Right view is knowledge with regard to stress. Knowledge with the regard of the origination of stress. Knowledge with the regard to the cessation of stress. Knowledge with the regard to the eightfold path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. This is right view. Right intention. Right intention is maintaining mindfulness of the intention for renunciation, the freedom from ill will, for harmlessness, for cessation. This is right intention. So in there, that's where Jennifer always talks about that calm. It's a byproduct. It's nice to have that calm. But it's really talking about the renunciation of the things that generate, propel that stress and this discomfort. Right speech. Right speech is abstaining from lying, 
abstaining from diversive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, abstaining from gossip and idle chatter. This is right speech. So these virtuous factors that are coming up, I think of these as the byproduct of deepening concentration, of developing wise restraint, of the keeping in mind the four foundations of mindfulness. So I can't just decide to have right speech and wonder why I can't sustain it without developing that concentration. It's a, it's foolishness. It's like my parent whacking me on my knuckles saying, watch your mouth, and me saying, I'll do better. This is a practice where I can see when I am deepening my concentration that I'm mindful of what comes out of my mouth. I'm mindful of the actions I take. I am mindful of how I do my job. So same thing with right action. Right action is abstaining from taking life, abstaining from stealing, abstaining from sexual misconduct. This is right action. And there's a whole slew of other things you can throw in right action. But it really is, are you mindful about the self-referential views that you hold that put yourself first and try to protect this thing that you've created? Right livelihood. Right livelihood is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has abandoned dishonest livelihood and provides themselves with with honesty. This is right livelihood. Right effort. Right effort is not just coming to class and reading and doing 30 minutes twice a day. It's right effort toward this Dhamma and nothing more, keeping it focused. The right effort is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones internally generates the skillful desire who is persistent, who remains mindful of their intent for the non-arising of unskillful qualities that have yet arisen, who remain mindful of their intent for abandoning the unskillful qualities that have arisen, who remain mindful for the maintaining of non-confusion and for increasing and developing the culmination of skillful qualities that have yet arisen. This is right effort. I always like that explanation. It's mindfulness. Only someone has developed their concentration and refined mindfulness can possibly see these things present. We're householders. Be gentle with yourself. It comes fast. Life comes fast. It's not fair to hold yourself to this strict thing and just know you're developing it. This isn't a race. This isn't something that you're getting in, you know, one teaching for seven years. It's not, it's not the point of it. It's the developing of it. Right mindfulness. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the body in and of itself or remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of feelings in and of themselves while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. 
Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the thoughts in of themselves while remaining ardent, alert, mindful of putting aside greed and distress with reference to the world. Right mindfulness is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones remains mindful of the present quality of their mind in and of itself while remaining ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside greed, distress with reference to the world. This is right mindfulness. It can only be developed if you develop in your concentration. Right meditation. Right meditation is when a skillful disciple of the noble ones has established seclusion from sensuality and unskilled mental qualities. They enter and remain in the first jhana. The first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Now, of course, we've been going over these over and over and over again. Why does John do this? Picked every sutta that ever covered a jhana and it's relentless, but it's got a purpose. When I sit down, I can't get this out of my head that this is what I'm doing. I'm not doing this to relax. I'm not doing this to decompress. That's a nice byproduct of it all, but I am being aware that when these things arise, I'm aware. And when it passes away, when I'm in this jhana, I'm going to judge it. I'm going to be aware of it. I'm going to jerk myself back into some level of concentration. I know that I'm there. It's not a point in the road that I've noticed and I'm checking it off and I'm done. But I also know that there's more. There's more deepening. And the purpose of the concentration is so I can be mindful. Mindful of these four noble truths. John's words. This first jhana is simply the initial pleasant calming that occurs from taking refuge in seclusion and becoming mindful of the breath in the body. Saraputta continues. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depend on the second jhana, which is the stilling of directed thought mm -hmm. and evaluation. This second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration, free from directed thought and evaluation. The joy of concentration permeates the entire body, mind and body. John's words, this second jhana is the deepening awareness of the mind calming in the body as a point of concentration. So John always asks, I'm sure we've all experienced this. And that's all it is, is experiencing it. It's, it's arising and passing away. You can hit the four jhanas in a five minute period. It's not a timing thing, you know, like clicking it off and saying, now it's time to move on. It's just experiencing them. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depend on the third jhana, which is the fading of rapture. They remain mm -hmm. equanimous, mindful, alert, sensitive to pleasure, 
With the fading of rapture, the pleasant abiding permeates the entire mind and body. In John's words. This third John is characterized by the stilling of directed thought and evaluation, and now able to experience the subtle pleasure of the mind calm, calmly united with the body. This is a pleasant abiding free of comparison to what is no longer present. What do you talk about, Zach? You're not looking for it to be pleasant or unpleasant. It's just something that exists. You're not chasing it down anymore. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depend on the fourth jhana, which is the abandoning of valuation. They enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in the mind and body with pure bright awareness. The fourth jhana, which is a pleasant abiding, this is right meditation. John's words. This fourth jhana is simply a deepening level of concentration and resulting pleasant abiding that remains in, at peace no matter what arises. This pleasant abiding is the, the finding characteristics of a well-concentrated mind having integrated the Eightfold Path. This is the noble truth of the Eightfold Path of practice that leads directly to the cessation of stress. Now, Sarah Puja doesn't go on to the other... John is the fifth and eighth and whatever. He keeps it simple for this group of brand new folks. Don't blow my head up, please, at this point. You know, let's keep it to the floor. I can grasp that. Try not to chase these down, but they don't get into the, the mystical and others that we've heard in the last, you know, five weeks. Saraputta continues, friends, it was here that the Tathagatha set in motion the unexcelled wheel of Dhamma. This Dhamma cannot be corrupted by any Brahman, Deva, Mara, Brahma, or anyone else in the entire world. No one can corrupt the revelation, declaration, the description, the structure, the explanation, and the clear and direct teaching of the Four Noble Truths. This is what Venerable Saraputta said, gratified. Those in attendance were delighted in Venerable Saraputta's words. End of the sutra. So, I know we used to go around the room and just give your thoughts on the sutta, but, you know, if you can, speak to what the understanding of stress and cessation of stress means to you. This Dhamma is, this is what it addresses. So let's go online first to Jeff. Let's see how your, your audio sounds. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Gotcha. Dr. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, David. Oh, my, oh, my neck going, neck going in. in. I hear I neck. Hear neck. Oh, yeah. 
Thank you, Kevin. Brian? Hi. Hi. Is yours any better? Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> Echo too? Can you, yeah. Can you mute us? Let's see. Hold on. If I mute us, it makes it better. Hello? Yes? No? Yeah, I don't have, I don't an, have echo. an echo. It sounds good to me, but it doesn't, like, if I, I don't know, I just thought if I hit mute, then maybe you would not hear an echo. Are you hearing an echo? Not if you're, not on, you're mute. on mute. Hmm. All right, we're going on mute. There we go. Let me go back around. So, um, I, I guess to your question, David, what, what does the origination of stress and cessation of stress mean to me in this context? I think it's around fabrications in the, in the entirety of the, the Dhamma and all of the teachings are a fabrication to get somebody to an experience. But the, the Dhamma resolves in that experience, right? This stuff exists beyond words and explanations. And, and for me, spending time trying to rationalize and work through all the words is where I'm seeing the arising and passing away of stress. Um, because it, it does just resolve itself in the direct experience of the the practice. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I want to go back to Jeff just to see if there's anything else you wanted to say. Or are you good? I'm good. Thank you. How about you, Dr. Kevin? Now you're on mute. You got on mute. I'm on mute. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> um, I really have nothing else to add right now. So, well, maybe one thing. I mean, it's just it's just so fundamental. It's like a it's like a reboot in a way, too. Um, it's good for beginners, it's good for um, if for some reason you're having any difficulty with the Dhamma and it's good for people who are copacetic with everything going on, it's just really the best. Thank you. Good morning, my friend. Thank you for the teachings. For me, um, kind of uh, after so many years doing, uh, trying to do meditation, this one seems to be to me the simplest form that I have found before, and the easiest one to follow. But I'm still, of course, struggling with the day to day life. Some days I can tame my uh, thoughts, and some days I cannot, no matter what I do. Mm. 
And uh, I know, like you keep talking about concentration, that's one of my biggest issues is the concentration, how to how to be focused with so many things going on. And, uh, and uh, I think someone mentioned about not being, I think you mentioned about not being too analytical, but because I have this engineering mind, I always try to analyze things and to understand things. So I have a very inquisitive mind. Mm -hmm. In order for me to grasp things, I have to understand where this is coming from. Even the origin of the of a word per se. Um, so, but I'm learning from all of you, and I'm hoping that uh, that I will get better. And again, be curious. There's nothing wrong with being a curious student of this dhamma. Part of the dhamma is investigation of of the words and you know the sequencing and but at the same time developing the concentration through the jhana meditation is will allow you to properly investigate it so you don't get caught up into the words and the concepts and the possible contradictions that you're seeing uh you know, this stuff's 2,600 years old. It's, it's <laughs> you know, you've you got to look at it in terms of, you know, the basics, what this just did. So be curious, be, be challenging, ask John or any of the teachers questions. Uh, we learn from brand new students as much as I learned from Ron. So it's not a, you're not being admonished for being curious, but just don't think that that can replace developing the concentration. Do both, but don't, you know, be careful about saying, oh, I'm having difficulty with this concentration thing, so therefore I'm going to study this thing to death. So, thank you. <clears throat> Zach. Hey. Like throwing something sure. I have to leave early. Sure. Um, uh, the statement that Siddhartha is using here, this is stress, this is the origination of stress, this is cessation of stress, was a common statement that a physician would make to his patient. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's interesting to, to to look at it this way, that this is this is Siddhartha given you the diagnosis and given you the cause and telling you that this is the reason this is you have the reason right here yeah you have mm -hmm. the, the ability to um to resolve this mm -hmm. and this is the way that you you know you can resolve this um, this is siddhartha the great physician as you know and he takes it further i mean lay it out on to dependent origination. Mm -hmm. And the condition is the ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. So, mm -hmm. thank you, Ron. Zach, I'll go back to you. Thanks for teaching, David. We would take no more silence today. Thank mm -hmm. you, Zach. Well, my friend, mm -hmm. welcome. Thank you.
uh, everyone for your comments and Rom's comment uh, just now as well, because I was going to ask you about that. David, can you talk just a little bit more briefly about when the Buddha says what is subject? We hear it all the time, but he says what is subject to origination is subject to cessation. It's not just like this passive awareness of mm -hmm. impermanence that we're supposed to kind of have, but how would you explain that like on a deeper level, how we're supposed to really embrace well, that? Sure. You know? and again, what are we developing this concentration for is the insight, insight to the three marks. And of course, one of the insights is impermanence. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a law. It's something that we have to come to terms with. That what is impermanent is painful, mm -hmm. and that's what this concentration is allowing you to experience at a deep, refined level. That you will connect those things that stress occurs because impermanence and your misunderstanding of what a self is. Mm -hmm. So. Again, it's this long practice that has to be developed slowly and to understand what those first and second noble truths are, are stating. And once that you are incorporating the four noble truths and not just concentrating on that fourth mm -hmm. thing that is something you can grab, then you'll start having those insights yeah. I'm Becky. <laughs> I'll come back to you, Adam. <laughs> Hi, David. Thank you for the teaching. I I found it really good to have someone like you go through this again. Um, you talk about. <clears throat> Empasico, which means experiencing the Dhamma, and that you can't really study it. You, you need to experience it, which I've always been, I've always felt that was the most important thing, was to experience it. And you asked us to talk about our experience with the cessation or with stress um, in our daily lives. And for me, in, in my daily life, what I've learned from the Dhamma is that when I am stressed, when something happens that I am stressed, that I it upsets me. If I don't stop and take a breath, that will continue maybe for hours and I will just be on this track of of doing what you know what human beings do. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I can take a breath and as I can have some experience of empathy. I can, what works for me is 
realizing that I'm taking everything that has just happened in the last five hours personally. So it's the Anita piece that initially works for me. And then once that has happened, I feel like I switch over to right view and I say, all of this stuff is going to continue to happen. The important thing for you to do is not take it personally, because if you don't, you can deal with it calmly. Mm -hmm. And then the impermanence piece will kick in. And once you, you say calmly, all of a sudden you, you think, oh, this, this is all impermanent. I, this is all crap that I just did to myself. And that, that is how it works for me in daily life. But sometimes those hours of going on for five, six, mm -hmm. sometimes that lasts for two days <laughs> before I can get my shit together. <laughs> and that's what and that's what we're talking about that's, the concentration you know the concentration yeah initially mm -hmm. you'll experience it with restraint a knee-jerk pulling back of like oh i'm here and i need to stop this and then you continue to develop your concentration that restraint piece doesn't kick in for me as much as I wish it would. But then the deepening of concentration, you, you develop refined concentration and refined restraint because it's now it's becoming real apparent that this, you know, Salata Sutta, this arrow that you're inflicting upon yourself is, you know, that sorrow and regret and wanting things to be different. All those stress lists, the, the Buddha lists, the Sarah lists, that's all us. And it's all us not having control over our mind. That's right. And it doesn't mean that it goes away. No. It arises and it passes away. And you, you it happens all without you. It happens. And it doesn't mean that I'm a willing participant in failing or doing poorly at my job or uh, not addressing things that are difficult. It lets me go into that situation with a clarity where I'm not perpetuating and accelerating exactly that stress on someone else. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, work is always something that people can relate to because that's the hardest place because the velocity of things coming at you is super fast. Mm -hmm. and unreasonable and mm -hmm. irrational and <clears throat> I can let it wash over me or I can address it calmly and more times than not the situation calms itself and going into that meeting or that one-on-one -on -one with somebody it almost always at this point resolves itself and they calm where I haven't hurt anyone and I don't walk away from that situation where I feel horrible. That's and, wonderful. And I spent a lifetime of being a hammer. And I would look for nails. And I'm <laughs> good at it. <laughs> that was painful for others. Yeah. And now I don't need to do that because I still have the same responsibilities. 
but I don't experience that second arrow as much. And again, and that's just, because you're not taking it personally. I, I don't, don't take agree? it as personal as I used to. And yeah. it doesn't mean that I'm done. You're not doing this. No, no. In your mind all the time. It's just, just an opportunity. It doesn't mean that it's not still in there. It's not still. Mm-hmm. Whatever is happening to you is still happening to you. Mm-hmm. You're you're just responding differently. Responding differently. You have a reference point instead of a. Mm-hmm. You have a reference point, right? Instead of just reacting. Yeah. Go to Adam and Cody. Hello, Adam. Hi, everybody. So something you said in the middle, or something you explained in the middle of the sutta that um, stuck with me. I stuck, I have not been thinking about anything else since. <laughs> but that is how. Um, the concentration born of jhana is sort of like the underpinning of the eightfold path mm-hmm. of each of the components of the eightfold path, and I hadn't um, hadn't made that connection before. And uh, now that I see it, sort of see that um, direct connection between jhana and the eightfold path, components of the eightfold path, um, it's become very liberating um, and. I just kind of pulls things together in a way I hadn't hadn't felt before. Mm. Um, I sort of the eightfold path I understood is you know the pathway we you know that that leads to the cessation of of dukkha, but um, relating it back to jhana meditation had been harder for me until this teaching. <clears throat> so thank you, thank you. It's really going to affect my my meditation. I've always like thought of. The driving force is jhana. And I spent first two years avoiding it because I couldn't meditate. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do anything but study. And I studied. And I learned all the lists. And I'm good at it still. It's still in there. But it, when I finally was able to calm myself and put it in the context of coming every week and learning and listening to everyone, then it made sense why I would have right speech. Right. In right action and right livelihood. It made sense that I can't practice those three things without deepening my concentration and developing my mindfulness. It's just, again, it's like this crude version of restraint. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it's like a muscle. And eventually it will give out. But if I deepen that concentration so I understand why in the context of the entire Dhamma, why I would want right speech. And then it's it's a it's a uh, a more effortless endeavor. And then of course, guess what? Plop down right in right view. Mm-hmm. You have right view then, because then how else would you act than guided by the four noble truths? I keep it real simple, I'm a simple dude. <laughs> it's just it. and i think in terms of of what those four noble truths mean to me in my day-to-day and being with mary and you know being with my children and being with my friends and that's how i how i deal with it but it's very structured it's not i don't take liberties with the the practice and again being a simple guy it's it's a lot easier Hey, Cody. Hi. Hmm. Um, 
thinking about my personal experience of um, concentration or uh, coping with stress. And um, I think, uh, you know, in, in my day-to-day -day life, it's too hot or too cold, or if the weather isn't ideal, or if my foot hurts, like those are things that like, I can let go of fairly easily, fairly quickly. If it's, um, you know, my something about work or a job or a problem that I have to solve, there's something that, that needs fixing, then um, doesn't necessarily stress me out or bother me too much. I think the things that, the things that cause me real suffering, um, <laughs> and I should say, I should say this carefully, are, are the people in my life um, and not, not that they are awful or rude or mean, but just that my experience of relating to other people is difficult. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, I think the deepening concentration is like, I have, I have a lifelong struggle with, with concentration, but what am I, what am I concentrating on, on this moment? and the reality of this moment and um, putting that in context of dependent origination, who I am, how these, what are these people doing to me? Don't they understand? <laughs> Why do they do this stuff? Why do they behave this way? Can't they see how this affects me? Um, that's all of the stress in my life. That's all of it is me is my experience of um, being separate from other people, being separate from the moment, being separated from um, reality. So I'm diligently working on deepening my concentration, but it's... Um, and do it within the context of this. Of yeah, the, yes. Because then it... It gives you context to why I want this concentration and why I mm -hmm. have difficulty with that. I fastball from my wife because that comes fast. That comes way faster than a conversation <laughs> I have with, with Laura about. It's exceptionally fast. It's exceptionally it's fast <laughs> under your chin and super smart. Super That's smart. like a knife. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same math for the little things to the big things. It's that that arrow that you're mm. doing it to yourself. Mm -hmm. I used to say, uh, when I first read that, I thought it was uh, the arrow coming from outside. It was On like the second arrow? The Mary, yeah. Mary was doing that arrow. And she looked at me once and was like, yeah, I don't think you get that. <laughs> and, then I'm, and then we heard a couple more times. And I'm like, oh, it's me. It's, it's my reaction to... <laughs> definitely married <laughs> but it was me and that's that's the, that's the thing was the deepening concentration allows you to have that wiser strength born from 
the concentration. Yeah, and um, and I think um, I mean I think I see it most easily with with my son uh, because he struggles with a lot of the same a lot of the same issues that I struggle with. Um, but the uh, you know the 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 complete. Um, unnecessary I don't I don't know if I necessarily if I have the right words for it but just how how unnecessary the division is in in terms of if I deepen my concentration and I'm present in the moment then I can relate to you in a way that's much deeper and much truer than um than my my thoughts or my feelings or my imagination are telling me mm -hmm. uh, I should behave or I should mm -hmm. should this or should that uh, I but, guess that's the third noble truth. Mm -hmm. That's what you're. You'll give that stuff up and become. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what we want. We want to be harmless. We want to be at peace with that interaction. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Thank you, my friend Jennifer. Ah, oh my gosh, I just heard so many things today that like I relate to and made me think of different ways, things that I wanted to say. So probably going to be a little all over the place. Um, but I just was like stress, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody, I think the first thing that we sort of recognize is stress arising. Um, so the origination of stress or stress coming up, I think that's, it's easy to, not easy, but maybe the first kind of step toe into the Dhamma is recognizing when we're stressed out and how that feels physically, mm -hmm. what our minds look like when we are stressed um and what our habit of mind is when we are stressed my habit of mind is definitely fix change solve what do i need to do to make this situation different so I don't have to feel this way anymore. Mm. And what the Buddha is saying in the origination of stress and the cessation of stress is stay with this painful feeling in this moment because it is going to pass. And it will help you to understand stress more deeply. Understanding stress mm -hmm. is a driving force. And this is the irony for the hab habitual mind state of fix, change, solve. So the tendency is for us to move into how do I change this, which distracts us from the real resolution, which is a stay with what is occurring. 
Brilliant. I have uh, so many different experiences that came up as I was listening to people go around the room um, of my own stress arising and how my, you know, experience is of what that was like when I first started coming to Sangha versus what those experiences are like now. And I would go decades. Mom was talking about two days. I would say (laughs) decades of time holding on to solving the same problem that would just keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up um, that I, that was just like mental compost, (laughs) you know, that ultimately was only resolved with having the feeling that I was, uh, that I was obsessively and compulsively avoiding. And, uh, uh, you know, clearly and directly addressing individuals in my life, sometimes, sometimes if it was a person, the, in, in some really probably innocuous way for me, and, you know, it's not always the case for everyone, but so that just coming back to what was happening, oh, you know, your feelings are hurt, you are having resentment, you are, you know, whatever, so that you can like, actually see it and move through it and address it clearly and directly. I teach teenagers. So that experience, you know, could have been an entire year of hating a student. Can't stand the student. Every single period they come in, I'm like upset the whole time. I'm distracted with managing them for the whole period. Um, And that makes the whole class be lousy for the entire year versus, you know, having like just yesterday, I I had students, you know, it's the first beginning of the year. So I have kids, they're showing their personalities right now. And I have students that the couple students that were just talking immediately through the whole entire period, like first, second day of school. And I was just, you know, I teach in a public school of choice that's extremely high, really intelligent kids. Everybody wants to be there. I'm very lucky. So to have kids that are freshmen, brand new, to be that are that are already like just go- being goofy. I just kind of was like, I was like, wow, you guys are you guys are really off to the races with just getting right, just just already. I'm just I'm feeling like, ah, feel like this. I feel it. It's like right here, you know, and it's like kind of jokey, but it's kind of like real like just yeah you're stressing me out i have stress stress is occurring i'm seeing it in my body and my in my mind instead of like immediately clamping down on that and then spending the entire year kind of being like oh this kid uh-uh. you know it just it just moves it it just moves it right away and sometimes i'll have the fix change solve piece of my mind that comes up and starts trying to like solve a problem and sometimes I literally just like, hey, I don't thank you, but I don't, I just don't need you right now. I just thank you. Thank you very much. So that's my, to me, that's cessation is that 
I'm, I'm coming back to what's happening and then able to like stay with it. I just can stay with it. Mm. So then I, it doesn't hang on to me for years and years. Years, years. years or seconds or seconds. Yeah. That ladies and gentlemen, Dhamma practice. <laughs> it's, it's, we're householders. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you go to a mountain, you can probably trim that down decades. Yeah. You got an endless pipeline of freshmen. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Some long haired Dave Allen rolling in the class. That's <laughs> so, great. I mean, that's why we have different Dhamma teachers. So, yeah. so, thank you, Chad. Mm. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Zach, you sure you don't want to say anything? No oh, worries. no pressure. Thank you. No right. pressure. I want to make sure. <laughs> thank you, everyone. We'll finish with uh, not the purpose statement. That would be find your meditation place this is what is done by one who is skillful in goodness and who knows the path of peace they are able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited <laughs> contented and easily satisfied they remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, they are always mindful to not deceive another or despise anyone in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. They maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Great job. Take care. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.